I'd like to read uh, today's reading from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. And our, our reading is, uh, Is God present even there where there is ignorance? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John, Chapter 1 makes a reference to the divine light that is obscure to the rational faculty, but that enlightens our higher nature. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Reason recoils from this statement with innumerable questions. What is the darkness? Is it conscious that it should comprehend anything? What sort of light would be capable of shining in darkness? without transforming at least that part of the darkness in which it shines into light. Does this light shine only at night? And if so, why only then? <laughs> the solution is that to divine light, even daylight seems darkness. The sun itself, like the moon which shines only by reflected light from the sun, is but a kind of reflection of the cosmic light, which being immaterial, is invisible to the eyes, which, which, is, which is the great source of all material reality. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda describes his youthful visit with Ram Gopal Musandar, the sleepless saint, who lived in the vision of that hidden light. Around midnight, Yogananda wrote, Ram Gopal fell into silence, and I lay down on my blankets. Closing my eyes, I saw flashes of lightning. The vast space within me was a chamber of molten light. I opened my eyes and observed the same dazzling radiance. The room became a part of the infinite vault, which I beheld with interior vision. Why don't you go to sleep? Sir, how can I sleep in the presence of lightning blazing whether my eyes are shut or open? You are blessed to have this experience. The spiritual radiations are not easily seen. The saint added a few words of affection. This is the light that shineth in darkness. It has been described variously in the great scriptures. In the Bhagavad Gita, the 11th chapter, the devotee Arjuna is given an experience of the infinite state and exclaims in awe, If there should rise suddenly within the skies sunburst of a thousand suns, flooding earth with beams undreamed of, then might be that Holy One's majesty and radiance dreamed of. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. To begin this morning with a reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity, Book of Prayers and Poems. The demand that God's light drive dark ignorance away. O divine friend, though the darkness of my ignorance be as old as the world, still make me realize that with the dawn of thy light, the darkness will vanish as though it had never been. 
So this morning I wanted to talk about this inspiring topic that Bharat uh, started with, which is the light shining in the darkness. And first I'll begin with a cartoon that I, we discovered recently and enjoy very much, and it doesn't seem to be about light, but it will be about light. <laughs> There's a little boy sitting on a, a couch with his father. Obviously, they're having a conversation. And he says uh, to his father, That's all right, Dad. When I was your age, I didn't believe in reincarnation either. <laughs> so... The Indian teachings tell us that what is reincarnation, that it's based on the fact that every desire we have has to be fulfilled. And so in this world, we keep trying to rearrange the pieces of materialism, our wealth, our lack of wealth, our health, our lack of health, uh, family, no family. We keep trying to keep rearranging all those period, uh, pieces of the material world so that we can be perfectly happy. And so we keep coming back again and again because we can never be perfectly happy from the material world. Because the material world, as Bharat was reading, is of itself darkness compared to the light of spirit. It's from the light of spirit that we find true happiness and fulfillment. And that's where we're going to begin. So I wanted to share something that has, has been very inspiring to me and um, I'm work, trying to work with it and I encourage you to um, listen to this. This is a quotation from um, Yogananda's interpretation of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. And it says, Never lose touch with your intuitive faith in God. Cast about constantly for the slenderest ray of light that might show you the way out of your predicament. Cast about constantly for the slenderest ray of light that might show you the way out of your predicament. God will never let you down if you firmly hold his hand. So this light is always inside of us. And we only need a slender ray of it. Because as Bharat was reading earlier, that light is like sunburst of a thousand suns. That's a lot of light. Take a slender ray of it, it has a lot of power. And that power is what will transform us. I saw a cartoon many, many years ago, but I've, I've enjoyed it and thought about it often. And the cartoon was of a canary. And the canary was in a cage, and it had its wings kind of folded around, so its little, uh, little wings were like hands. And it was standing at the cage like this, sort of like, you know, a jailbird trapped in its, in its jail. But what made the cartoon special to me was that there were only two bars in the cage. <laughs> this is my problem. This is my problem, and this is how I define my life. Meanwhile, there's plenty of room out there. And so... We all have those things that we do. Oh, I have this problem or that problem. But meanwhile, there is the potential of so much light. I was reading something of Masters, and he said, remember, when you're feeling ill, whatever type of illness it is, whatever type of illness it is, remember that at least 99% of your body is well. It's just part of you that's ill. And so in the same way, no matter what the 
bars are in your cage, there's a whole lot of room out there that is not that problem. And that's what we want to look for, is to find that light. Well, this reading happened to come uh, third week of the year, which is the weekend that we celebrate the um, birthday of Martin Luther King, which to my mind is an amazing confluence of circumstances because if ever there was a canary who had a whole lot of bars in his cage, it was Martin Luther King. What he tried to do and the obstacles to what he tried to do were so enormous. And yet, by focusing on light, he transformed this country. And I wanted to just take some time today to share about his life because it is full of lessons for us. He, um, uh, basically, I don't think any time in this country we have seen as important of a movement as what happened in the 50s and 60s, the civil rights movement, because it was a battle that was waged without one weapon. It was waged with light. It, he, it was waged with moral courage. It was wa- rage, waged with self-control. But it was based on light. And through the course of the 10 or 15 years or more that this went on, Martin Luther King managed to hold millions of people to a focus on light. And, and, and they achieved a goal that transformed this country. So this Martin Luther King was born into um, segregation in the South. He, when he was a small child, he said, how can I love people? He was a, a preacher's son, so he was a spiritual boy. But he said, how can I love people who hate me so much? Because segregation, you, know, you had followed 250 years of slavery with another 45 years of segregation. And white, the, the culture of the South was so fixed. White people were raised from babyhood with the idea that the color of your skin determined whether you had rights or no rights. If you had white skin, you had all rights. You can behave any way you wanted. And if you had black skin, you had no rights. And that was just built into every person. And so what Martin Luther King faced was not only this entrenched society, which said that um, black people could not use the same restaurants, bathrooms, hospitals, beaches, parks, um, drinking fountains, anything that white people use, black people could not use. They had to have separate. And, and always the black facilities were much worse and, or sometimes non-existent. And so this was the existence of what was going on as Martin Luther King grew up. And he, as he studied and went into philosophy more and became a minister and looked at the problem, he saw the problem was not white people. The problem was segregation. Because the white people were just as damaged by segregation as were the blacks, just in a different way. The whites were damaged because they were encouraged to live in meanness, to live in hatred and prejudice. And it was very unhealthy for both blacks and whites. And so as he came into running, being a minister of one of the main churches in Montgomery, Alabama, the whole uh, thing happened in Montgomery with Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on a bus. And certain black ministers had been feeling like 
it's time to make a move. It's time that the, the Constitution of the United States supports us. We just need to engage with the legal process in a different way because we have no rights with the legal process in the South. We need to create a bigger, a bigger um, field of vision. But one of the problems that they faced was that the black people were, had been beaten into apathy, apathy and fear. I mean, they just thought there's no way we can change this situation. And if we dare to try to do so, we might get killed because that was another part of segregation was not only the, the, the separate facilities, but the random uh, killing and brutalizing of black people um, for no reason whatsoever. So they were very frightened. And he faced this, on the one hand, hatred, on the other hand, apathy and fear. And as this case came to light of Rosa Parks, the black community began to gather together, and they elected Martin Luther King to head up what they called the Montgomery Improvement Association. Martin Luther King was 26 years old. And he walked into this church, this huge church. It was packed with the black community there. And he had had 10 minutes to prepare a talk. He didn't have time to prepare at all. And what he did was first he roused them with the idea that they were American citizens, that they had rights. And he he roused the people, but that was not enough. Then he took that energy and he tied it to Jesus Christ. The one force that united all of them was the black community was devoted to Jesus Christ. And he he tied them to Jesus Christ and to Jesus' words, we must return love for hatred. We cannot act in hate. This whole movement, and he held this, he held millions of people in an attitude of love in response to hate. But through the course of the civil rights movement, people were, black people were getting killed and tortured and all kinds of horrible things were happening to people who, who went ahead and stood by their rights and protested, sit-ins and uh, freedom riders and all these different things. They were protesting in a peaceful way and they never responded with hate, only with love. And that held that whole movement through the course of over a decade of just drawing on that slender ray of light. So at one point, um, soon after that uh, meeting in the church where Martin Luther King made it very clear to people what would be their focus. Their focus would be Jesus Christ. Their focus would be light. Um, he started to become a target of the white community. And he got um, almost 40 letters a day, hate letters. But worse than that, he got about 25 vicious phone calls a day. And they had to answer the phone because they were the center of the movement pick up the phone and people would threaten to kill him, kill his wife, kill his daughter. And it, it, in the middle of the night, all times of day and night, and, and it was really wearing him down. And he went to a um, public meeting and rally, and he realized he was not in his center. He was, he was frightened. And he came home that night, and he couldn't sleep. And so he went down to his kitchen, and he just said, I gotta think of I gotta think of a way to get out of this role. I can't be in this role. Uh, what's a graceful way that I can retire so that I don't demoralize 
this whole movement, and he just didn't know what to do. And he had no one to talk to, and finally he just put his head in his hands and just prayed, and he just prayed to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, if I do not stand before these people with strength and courage, they will falter, and I do not have it. I do not have the strength. I do not have the courage. I cannot do this alone. I'm at the end of my rope. And he just, he just offered himself completely in prayer. And he felt himself filled with calmness and strength. And he heard, he sensed, I don't know that he heard the voice, but he sensed the voice of Jesus saying to him, Martin Luther, stand behind righteousness. Stand behind truth, stand behind justice, and I will be with you until the end of the earth. And when he felt that, he just, it changed everything. And he went back, he, he took it up, he took up the battle again, but stronger in that presence. God was not, he'd always been a minister, he'd always been talking of God, but now he knew that where he was, God was. And he held to that light through this next period of transforming, of terrible challenges at every turn, and tremendous victories for the American people as a whole. Um, shortly after that, his, uh, shortly after that um, experience, his house was bombed. His wife and daughter were safe. And he came back from a talk. To, they told him as it happened. He came back from a talk. And there was a group of people out in front of his house, black people with guns, black people with broken bottles, the white mare, the people trying to piece it together. And their, their lives were in danger because these black people were so angry. And he just stood before them and he said, everything's fine, my family's all right. We will never return hate for hate. We will only do this with love. And if I die, it doesn't matter. This movement will go on. And that transformed this country. Well, for us, we do not have the public stage. We will not be um, facing the kinds of battles, most probably, that pull us into that sort of world stage. But still, we have our own battles. And for each of us, they are real because they're standing between us and God. So they're real, and they're hard, and they, we have to face them, and we have to deal with them. But we want to do it with light. And so I wanted to talk about just a couple of ways that we can draw on that light in our lives. And the first one is based on a word that I learned actually just a few months ago. The word is thin. That's a word you know. I knew, but I didn't know it in this way. The ancient Celtics had a phrase. They used the phrase, thin places. Thin places are places where the veil between matter and spirit is thin. I think, I think we're in one of those places. Um, and... I thought about that more, and I thought there are also in our lives what you would call thin times. Times when God, who is, we know he's out there somewhere, but every now and then, um, he's very, very evident and clear. 
And um, I want to recommend to you a book that has just come out from Crystal Clarity uh, called um, uh, Protected. Now I'm going to forget the name. Asha's book is Protect, Loved and Protected. Loved and Protected. Um, which is stories from over 100 Ananda people of times when the veil became very thin. And that sense of God moving the pieces was really obvious. And there are, the problem with the book is you tend to just, you can't put it down, so you keep reading and reading and reading. But what you should, there should be some sort of a monitor where you can only read one and really feel it and really go there because each story in there is a moment where the person was experiencing the presence of God. And I wanted to share one that I especially love that Pollocka told the story because some of them were stories where lives were saved, pieces were rearranged, like you know, you were, you were going this direction and suddenly you were going that direction because God had to change things. But this story had a, sort of almost a plan to it, a divine plan to it. And it happened when Pollocka was looking for, uh, he had read autobiography of a yogi, he didn't realize that Yogananda had a, a, a teaching work, really. He knew he'd started Self-Realization Fellowship, but didn't understand how to follow Yogananda's teachings. And so he look, was looking for a yoga center in San Francisco. But he didn't know San Francisco. Instead of going to 7th Avenue, he went to 7th Street. 7th Street in San Francisco is not an area you really want to hang out in a long time. There's, but it was the middle of the day. There are a lot of warehouses down there. And so he was walking on 7th Street, looking at the numbers, trying to find this yoga center, and just warehouse after warehouse. And um, he passed a man sitting there, uh, but on, seemed to be reading, and kept walking and didn't find anything. So he thought he'd go back and talk to the man. He walks up to the man. The man is sitting there reading something that says Self-Realization Fellowship Lessons. So Pollocka looks at this and goes, oh, this must be the yoga center. <laughs> so he, he, walks around, he walks around the building, and lo and behold, it's a warehouse. And then he realizes what has happened. And he introduces himself to the man, and he and the man realize what has happened. He said they were both ready to levitate. They could just feel that presence so strongly that it brought them together in the middle of nowhere to say, yes, I'm here. I'm here, and you are mine. Come with me. So this is those moments that are so transformative for us, and every one of us here most probably has had a moment like that. It might have been a very simple moment where you just you opened a book to exactly the right words or you met the person who said exactly what you needed to hear or someone came and offered you help just when you needed it and you knew where it came from. And those moments, just like Asha's book should be treasured page by page, those moments in our lives should be reviewed and treasured because when, when life seems very thick around us and the bars of the cage seem very, very thick, it's important to go back to that moment and just remember God is just as much with me now as he was then. I was reading, um, 
I, one of the things I love in Autobiography of a Yogi is the chapter where Master has to take his college exam. Mm. And here is this master who can write a poem like Samadhi and who, you know, is, write these books like the Ru- interpretations of the Rubaiyat and the Bhagavad Gita. And he's crying because he has to take this college exam. And he's so unnerved by it. And, and then he goes back and after, he goes home and he's sort of dealing with this. And then he comes back to Sri Yukteswar and he's still upset about taking this college exam. And, and Sri Yukteswar says, don't you remember the times that God has helped you in the past? <laughs> and Master writes, I mean, he's so humble. The book is so humble. He just writes, he was flooded with, and then he lists, you know, miracle after miracle from his life. And he said, I, I knew, of course God would be with me. And so we too have to bring out, when were those times? Remind yourself of those times and live in those times because they are the real times. That's the real time. The other times when it seems like matter is everywhere, that's not the real time. And we want to draw on that light to transform those times when matter seems thick. Well, there's one other thing. There's many things we could talk about, about how to draw on that light. But another one I want to bring up, I want to bring up meditation, which, of course, we talk about here all the time. But I want to bring it up from a, maybe a slightly different because I think, you know, we get told a lot, you must meditate, you must meditate, and sometimes you think, yeah, but you don't know what my meditation is like. I mean, <laughs> surely that can't be really helping. And, and, and it's important to realize, because I think everybody assumes that it got, meditation's got to be easier for other people. Um, you know, what is the point of sitting here when it's just swimming uphill is there, why should I do this? I'll, I'll just wait. And it actually reminded me of a joke that doc, I heard from Dr. Peter a while ago about a young man who went to apply for a job. And uh, the owner of the business said, great, you can, you can have the job, you can start now, and, in two, uh, and I'll give you this much money, and in two weeks, um, you'll get a raise of $300. And the young man said, great, I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> and, I think that's the way a lot of us approach, we approach meditation, you know? I'm going to do this when I'm good at it. I'll just, uh, this isn't really a good meditation, so I'll stop now and then I'll come back another time and, and enjoy it when I'm good at it. So we have to realize that the swimming uphill times are part of the process. Swimming uphill, I don't know if it's possible to swim uphill. Let's see how that could actually work, but um, swimming uphill is where you develop your strength. And it's from the strength that those moments of transcendent joy come. And the more that you do it, the more that you're willing to do the work, the more frequently those thin, precious moments of transcendence come. So our message for today is just to remember this slenderest ray of light. I am... I... Was, I took a seclusion last week, and um, as a story for this service, um, I had only a few days, and one of those days I woke up and my head was feeling very pressured, like I had something wrong with it, my whole body was hurting and sniffling, and I felt like I was, aller- having allergic, I was allergic to something. And I, um, 
thought, well, I'm in seclusion. I've got to meditate. And every cell of my body says, there's no way you can meditate. It's not possible. And as I sat there, I thought about the concept of willpower, and I thought, no way. Willpower cannot begin to go up against what I'm feeling right now. But then I remembered the slenderest ray of light. And I thought, okay, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to focus on here. This part is all not pleasant, but there is a slender ray of light. The light of my guru, everyone might see that light in a different way. That's how it is for me. I thought, I'll just focus on that little light. And I sat, I did my meditation. Was I healed? No. Did I meditate all day? No. Did I learn something really, really important? Yes, I did. Did I experience the presence and the power of a slender ray of light? I did. And I really want to express that and share it and say that that light can change it all for us and to really hold to that. Several months ago, I um, was driving to the Crystal Hermitage and um, I had one of those moments in, in the car where suddenly something exploded in my spine, a karmic seed an old karmic seed, a familiar karmic seed, and I, I, I became in a very, very negative mood. And so I began to fight that mood, give it to master, give it away, I'm not interested, all that sort of stuff, and it was just hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. And well, I didn't have any choice, so I just kept fighting it. And as I got to Crystal Hermitage, I went in, and I sat in the Crystal Hermitage for maybe two minutes, maybe less than two minutes, meditating. And in that, those moments, in the car, this battle had seemed like, oh, this has gone on for lifetimes. It'll never go away. It's always going to be there. In two minutes, it was, it was non-existent. It wasn't that, oh, well, I've risen above it. There it is. It's down there. I'm up here. It was non-existent. And it was so educational. Because just as Sparrow was reading about, well, if the light is shining in the darkness, doesn't the darkness go away? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. If we can practice our meditation so that it becomes our friend, and we can really lift our mind into that light, the darkness vanishes, as the reading said, the darkness vanishes as if it never was.